look at that amazing song push it for those who can't not hear the music i want to see jimmy bust out a move but he didn't so i'll bust out one for the people watching on youtube <laughs> I, I, pre, I appreciate you doing that for the, for the folks on youtube <laughs> i got your back always now again i'm james boyd alongside jimmy cook eddie garrison you're listening to 107.5 the fan the midday show we've talked a lot about what the pacers are doing in the draft their options for summer league but this wouldn't be an indie area show without mentioning Trace Jackson Davis, one person who has latest on him and a lot of things out west. Connor Latorno for San Francisco Chronicle. Connor, how you doing, my man? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's good, uh, good to reconnect. I know. I was telling. I was like, wow. Like I kind of go through uh, the people who follow me when I was covering the NBA, and I was like, I'm glad they still follow me. You didn't ditch me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, the one thing I'll start off with, again, like I alluded to, was Trace Jackson Davis. I know he was one that I believe a lot of Pacers fans wanted, not only because of his ties to the area, but because he could have potentially been a good fit here we heard from the Pacers GM that it had to be a mutual interest and it seemed like that was really the case with Golden State so I know you wrote a piece about him recently what can you tell us about what the Warriors expect out of him and maybe the benefit of joining a team like that which has kind of had this knack for developing bigs and and finding that that niche role for them yeah, I think a lot of times in the NBA, when you're when you're looking at players, you focus on what they can't do. And I think he's a good example of that. I think a lot of people were talking about, oh, you know, he can't shoot the three. He can't play more than one position. He's basically just an undersized center. Um, okay, that's that's fine. But there's also a lot he can do. He's a very skilled passer. Uh, he's a great rebounder really plays within himself, has a really nice arsenal of low post moves. Um, you know, I, I've, been, I've, I've heard him called kind of a poor man's Kavon Looney, and I think that's a pretty accurate assessment. He, he reminds me a lot of what Kavon Looney does for the Warriors, which is exactly why I think the Warriors were drawn to him. Um, you know, they, they're not going to be asking him to do anything he hasn't already done at Indiana. Uh, they want him to come in and basically just eat up some backup center minutes for Kavon. The Warriors, as we all know, um, are in a little bit of a bind financially right now. They're well over the luxury tax. They don't have a, a mid-level exception to go sign a, a rotation caliber player in free agency. So they really needed to be smart about how they built out the back end of their roster and the rotation. And I actually thought that that – move late in the draft to flip Patrick Baldwin Jr. for the 57th pick and and Trace Jackson Davis was really savvy on their part because yes he's the 57th pick but you have work and he's 23 years old you can you can trust him to come in and at least play the occasional meaningful minute uh in the NBA as a rookie which is what they're going to ask him to do that's why they gave him a guaranteed contract right away I think it's a phenomenal fit. Connor, looking at the uh, sorry, the Warriors roster as a whole post NBA draft, when you look at the acquisition of shipping Jordan Poole off, how much of that was the look of that contract and wanting to get it off the books with where they are financially versus they just didn't see a fit anymore with what Jordan Poole was at this stage of his career? There's a lot of layers to that. Um, you know, <laughs> I think when, when that trade went down, everyone's initial reaction was, what the heck? I mean, Chris Paul on the Warriors. But when you when you take a deeper look at it, 
and really understand all the different ramifications of it, it makes a lot of sense. And the thing with Jordan Poole is the moment he signed that huge contract last October, everyone was like, that feels like an overpay. And even in the the press conference announcing his contract extension, Steve Kerr put the onus on Poole and said, okay, yes, he's about to make this kind of money, but he needs to play up to it and he needs to make certain improvements to his game. He needs, he needs to be much better defensively. He needs to legitimately warrant meaningful playoff crunch time minutes. And he didn't do any of those things. He regressed last season. He was awful defensively. He was much less efficient offensively. Now, did some of that have to maybe do with what happened with Draymond preseason? Perhaps. Um, and I do think that's another aspect to all of this. You know, talking to people, they, they've they been very open about the fact that there was legitimate locker room tension um, around Draymond and Poole. Created kind of an awkwardness in the locker room. And the, the practical reality is those two probably couldn't coexist long term. And the Warriors basically decided we're going to go all in on the guy who was a foundational piece to our dynasty. And unfortunately for Poole, that means he's shipped off to you know, a rebuilding situation with the Wizards. Where is the dynamic at in terms of, or how quickly, if it's not already put to bed, will the joking dynamics of Chris Paul laughing at Steve Kerr and then giving him a mean mug on the sidelines? Obviously, that's well documented, and you never know how in the moment, playoff moment, that type of thing is, or how quickly animosity like that is to be put aside. It appears, at least from afar, both parties are ready to rock and roll once the season starts. But how quick of a dynamic and what will that role be for Chris Paul out there in Golden State? Because when I looked at it on paper and then they add Trace Jackson Davis, it's like, okay, in a perfect world, potentially you're seeing second unit action down the stretch of the season with somebody like, if he's able to make that leap, Trace Jackson Davis and Chris Paul. Yeah, I definitely think they'll they'll get some minutes together. Um, basically, Chris Paul is being brought in to effectively be a better version of Sean Livingston. Um, if you remember, Sean Livingston was a really underrated force behind three NBA titles with the Warriors. You know, he really would come into the game and calm things down. He was a very contrasting style to Steph. Really thrived in the mid range. Was a great passer. Saw the floor really well saw the floor really well, slowed down the tempo, kind of calmed things down. And they want they want uh, Chris Paul to come in and basically do those exact same things. Um, and they since since uh, Sean Livingston left a couple years ago, they've really struggled to find someone like that in the second unit. Chris Paul, or sorry, Jordan Poole was basically the antithesis of that. As far as the lingering beast that Chris Paul has with various members of the Warriors. You can talk about Steve Curry. You can talk about Draymond Green. You can talk about Steph Curry. Uh, a funny a clip kind of reemerged after the trade from a 2020 podcast that Draymond went on where he literally said, I do not like Chris Paul. We do not have a good relationship at all. And so that obviously raises questions. <laughs> How are they going to coexist on the same team? But um, I think this is just a really mutually beneficial arrangement. You're, you're, you have a guy in Chris Paul who has never won a title, who's coming in for a chance to win a title. And you have a team in the Warriors who needs what he brings to the table to kind of help them get over the hump here and win another title with Steph Curry and Draymond and Clay. And so 
yeah, it's not maybe an ideal fit in certain ways, but I think they're going to put everything off the side and make it work, or at least try to make it work um, for the betterment of everyone. Connor, when you look at just the landscape out west, though, does this feel like a move where, you know, I know for so long it was about prioritizing, keeping that window open. Do you feel like this was one of those things to just go all in and see if they could squeeze one more championship out of this window? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, that's they've they've been saying over and over, we're all we're going to go all in on on winning now. And this trade really backed up their words. I mean, it's the ultimate all-in move. I mean, you're trading someone in Jordan Poole who just turned 24 years old, could have at least a couple, you know, future All-Star appearances ahead of him, and you're you're mortgaging that, uh, as well as draft picks and a couple good young guys for, you know, a 38-year-old, well past his prime point guard who's had a recent injury history. Um, you know, like it's definitely an all in move. Um, but I think it makes sense. It, you know, it makes sense a, because they're a better team next season with Chris Paul than they were with Jordan Poole. Uh, I really think he's going to, he's going to stabilize that second unit. I still think they're a move or two away from being true title contenders next season, but it was, it's a move that's going to make them better next season. And then, you know, after next season, he has a non-guaranteed deal. You know, you can move off that contract. You can get some salary cap relief, dip under underneath the second uh, apron in terms of the, the salary cap, and you have a lot more flexibility going forward. So I thought it made a lot of sense both in the, in the short and long terms for the Warriors. What ultimately winds up happening with Draymond Green? He resigns with the Warriors. Um, I, don't, I don't think the Warriors would have made this trade unless they were – 99% confident that he was coming back. Um, you know, you, the, the Chris Paul move doesn't really mean much if you can't bring Draymond Green back. And so they're going to do everything they can to bring Draymond back. I think they're going to be able to get it done. Um, I expect him to come back on a three-year deal matching up with Steph Curry's contract, um, you know, maybe around the 100 mil range uh he'll probably get other more money elsewhere there's been a lot of talk about sacramento going hard at him but i think when push comes to shove he's going to be willing to take a little bit less money to finish things out with the warriors um you know if that was one of my big takeaways from the chris paul trade was okay this pretty much cements the fact that draymond's coming back how quick does a deal like that get done? Is this something that is causing a minor backlog in free agency, not just for the Warriors, but other teams that might be pursuing Draymond? Or do you think this is something that is one of the first handful of deals that is announced as free agency period opens? You know, it's hard to say. Um, I do think there, there's already been, you know, unofficial conversations behind the scenes about what a potential contract could be. But I, I would not be surprised if Draymond, you know, tried to, to leverage uh, his market value a little bit, you know, tried to play the Kings against the Warriors, uh, a couple other teams that are interested. Uh, like there's been talk about uh, the Lakers and, and, the, and the, the Pistons, and there should be at least three or four big suitors for him. So I expect him to, to leverage that to try to make as much money as possible with the Warriors. But I do think ultimately – He's going to land with the Warriors. So, yeah, it might it might be another week or so um, just because just he's kind of playing the game. 
Um, that's why he wanted to become a free agent was just to leverage, you know, other teams' interest into extracting as much money as possible from the Warriors. It's just good business. Um, but I, I really do think he, he knows deep down he's coming back to the Warriors. The last one for me, Connor. I know a lot gets made of the Warriors, the drama that they had last season, but the reason why everyone always thinks they have a shot is because they have Steph Curry. So how much do you think he is driven by, I know that Apple TV documentary is going to come out soon, but how much do you think he's driven by kind of being the uh, underdog again? For so long they were the top dog, now they're the underdog, and how much do you think he embraces that to sort of spoil the party here in the next season or so? Yeah, I think I think for all these guys, they're intense competitors. They'll extract motivation wherever they can. So, um, you know, I definitely think that the fact that a lot of people have already eulogized the dynasty is is, is incentive for them. Um, and you know, I've covered this team now for seven years, and the most meaningful title run that I covered by far was 2022, because no one expected that team to win the, the NBA title. And for them to kind of come rise from the ashes two years removed from the worst record in the league to win that title just meant so much for them. There's a reason why Steph Curry was literally crying on the court uh, as that final buzzer sounded. And so um, I think that this one, if they're able to win another title this year, would mean almost as much just because everyone's already written them off. Um, But, you know, like I said, it'll be really interesting to see what they do the rest of this offseason because I still feel – like they're one or two significant moves away from being legit contenders. I don't think Chris Paul is enough, um, given the landscape of the West, given how good the Nuggets are going to be. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if you see them trade someone like Jonathan Kaminga, who, by the way, the Pacers love. And there's a lot of talk that the Pacers have been making a bunch of calls to the Warriors about. Oh, man. And so, and so I would not have uh, – I would not be surprised if you saw a deal this summer uh, between the Pacers and Warriors involving Jonathan Kaminga. Oh, wow. Sounds like we might have another conversation yeah, with that Connor is, at some point. That is quite the cliffhanger <laughs> you leave us with. Connor, we'll get you out of here, but we appreciate that. I'm sure a lot of Pacers fans enjoyed hearing that last bit from you. You take care, and as Jimmy said, I'll be sure to reach out again soon. All right, thank you. Thanks, Connor. That was Connor Latorno for the San Francisco Chronicle. It is the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and two. As a reminder, breaking news just about a half hour ago from Adam Schefter, a handful of NFL players, including Colts cornerback and kick returner Isaiah Rogers, are expected to receive season-long suspensions this week for the alleged gambling, sources tell ESPN. We'll, of course, have more on that as the show rolls on, and if any other breaking elements to that story, be it the other handful of players, be it more clarity on Isaiah Rogers happening to drop out of the sky. We'll bring that to you as well. We continue back with our Pacers conversation, joined by Dustin Apirak, covers the Pacers for the Indy Star. Dustin, how are you doing today? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks, as always, for making the time for us. Last time we talked to you, it was the final moments leading into the NBA draft and now that next big chess piece to be moved on the NBA calendar is of course NBA free agency. Uh, Let's start first with 
biggest needs remaining for this team. I know you have a piece up on IndyStar.com and in the IndyStar as a whole. Seven players the Patriots could target in NBA free agency. I want to go after that list in a second. But as you look at the needs and the amount of spending power the Pacers have, how quickly, how aggressive do you expect the opening stages of free agency to be for this team? Yeah, I mean, pretty aggressive. I think, you know, a lot of the targets, the, you know, the one issue is it's going to be difficult to pry them away from their current teams. Most of them seem to still have some interest in maintaining them. Certainly Portland, it seems like, really wants to keep Jeremy Grant. It seems like the Lakers want to keep, keep Rui, uh, Rui Hachimura. Uh, it seems, I mean, the Kings are at least, I think, starting to talk again to Harrison Barnes. They might let him go and try to swing bigger. Um, but that's going to be a, a tough part of it is, is to get any of them. But I do expect them to be aggressive because they can be. Um, just with, with the cap space, they certainly have enough money to make uh, a big free agent run. They don't have a lot of roster space, so they can almost put all of their uh, assets, all of their cap room, all of their money uh, into chasing one player, more or less. And so it makes sense for them to, I think, add to the power forward depth. Um, certainly, they obviously address that in the draft with Jairus Walker, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to get someone who's a veteran, keep them on, uh, get them on a one or two year, maybe three year contract tops to sort of ease that transition for Walker so you're not putting him in a position where he has to start right away and you're demanding production from him. Um, I think they could live with throwing him in the fire and just you know letting him figure it out for a year. But also, I think it could be a little bit easier to get somebody who's more established and sort of more directly fits uh, you know what they need at that position. I think there's several guys that would be happy to take that spot. Um, and would be happy to take the money they'd be offering. So they're, they're going to go out and they're going to try. And I think they were obviously pretty aggressive in trying to make trades around the draft. Um, and so I expect them to at least make all of the calls that need to be made and all the offers that need to be made to try to get somebody. Now, are they going to actually land one? You know, again, hard to say because I think there's interesting positions with the situations with each of those guys that they are targeting. And, and again, I think in a lot of cases, their current teams are going to want to bring them back. Uh, so they don't know how fast or how quickly they're going to land somebody or, or if they're definitely going to get uh, – the more sort of high priced around them, but they're going to be able to make the offer because they do have the room. And I think it's, it's more helpful. I think with the new CBA to have the room because those teams that are going to be over the second apron are going to have a hard time making moves. Dustin, I want to get to the fun stuff. When are you leaving for Vegas? <laughs> you know, what are the travel plans, my man? What, what are you going to get? Hotel we stay at? Yeah, today, man. We we just got our like advisory from uh, Pace's staff yesterday. Tell us directly, okay, how long is camp going to be, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, luckily they don't play. Uh, they don't play until the eighth. Uh, so I'm going to get down there the seventh. Uh, I'm not going to try to get down a day early, but I, mean, I am going to try to get down there and check out the Huchofino versus Jackson Davis game on the evening of the seventh and check that out. So, But I think I'm going to go down the seventh and think, come back after two games, I think, is the plan. And I know we talked about it on Twitter yesterday, kind of joking about you know the roster, why are these older guys mm-hmm. on there, are they, how much are they going to play? But as a beat writer, and it, it, even just covering the team, obviously getting to know Jairus Walker, he had a fantastic piece about him. I encourage people to read that Thank you. on IndyStar.com. Yeah, you got, I got your back, Dustin. I like to read good work I when I can. But, um, Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. <laughs> I will say this, though. What are the expectations? What would you, or not you, what would the team say is a successful trip out there in Vegas? What are some things that they want to see from this young group? And, again, I wouldn't expect them to play you know, all four, five, six games that they have in Vegas. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't expect Matherin, especially Matherin and Nemhard. I mean, I, I'm guessing they get maybe one or two. You know, I think they still want to get Isaiah Jackson work. I mean, that's been a tricky situation for them, just trying to get him to develop. I think they obviously believe that there's a lot of potential there. Certainly the athleticism is there, the leaping ability and all that. He's been productive largely on the basis of that. But I think they just constantly want to get that guy minutes. I mean, if he stays longer than the other two, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I would think that they, they're just always trying to get the most out of they can out of him. Obviously, they sent him down 
for you know a couple games this season when he when he was seeing a lack of playing time when they moved Jalen Smith over from the four to the five. They sent him down to the Mad Ants for a couple games, and, and he loved it. I mean, he he got to go down there and do whatever he wanted, and came back really refreshed and was really I think more effective uh, for the next couple of games after that, and, and ended up having a pretty productive season. But I think they still just want to get him work just because it, it is has been tougher to do that uh, than I think they originally expected. So I wouldn't be surprised if those guys were down there for a little bit longer. But obviously, I think you're you're just trying to create as much chemistry as you can. You know, basically try to get Walker integrated uh, with some guys that, that he's going to be with. Uh, you know, for for several years, for as long as he's under contract with the Pacers, probably. You know, Nemhard and, and Matherin are going to be some guys that he's going to be playing with and playing around. I think they want to sort of start some chemistry there. You know, get get the ball moving on Walker. You know, get the ball moving for Ben Shepard. Uh, you know, just sort of get those guys started and get whatever you can out of them to sort of again begin chemistry with some of the returning guys uh, and even with some of the two-way players that are going to be around just, just start getting those guys integrated I think it's the biggest piece I mean obviously you're not you're not always looking for that much out of that and then obviously checking to see some of these other guys that they've signed and you know what they can be for them you know even if it's just you know are, are, is a guy like a Darius McGee going to be a, a G League guy that they could bring in for the Mad Ants or somebody like that and, and how are they going to sort of shuffle that group uh, there's a couple of Mad Ants I'm surprised aren't on the roster Jermaine, Jermaine Samuels being one of them uh, but I think it's just sort of just get get a chance to really see sort of their depth you know going into their G League roster and, and seeing what all those, those guys are going to be I mean you know it's some related whatever they can get they can get Dustin Apirak with us covers the Pacers for the Indy Star Dustin you had a post recently on Indy Star a good story regarding players the Pacers could target seven players in fact they could target in the NBA highlighting their cast base and the young core that could potentially entice free agent potential targets as you look through your list Harrison Barnes is a mutual name that that we've all talked about on this show Kyle Kuzma is another one that's on your list who do you think would be the best fit and from just to let you be selfish entertainment standpoint who do you think would be the most fun free agent target within this young core the Pacers are building I mean I think Grant's the best player uh I, I think Grant all Jeremy Grant all the all all around is the best player. He's got length. He can defend a bunch of positions. You know, he can shoot. He can score. I mean, I think he's he's the most fun player they can add. But it does it's sort of everything I read seems like Portland wants to sign him, and they clearly do. And so, you know, obviously he'd, he'd have to want to step away from that. Obviously, it's not like it's not like a restricted free agent situation where you know he has to go there if they match uh, the offer. He has the choice to go or to stay. But I mean, I think he's he's the best player of the group. Uh, after that, I think it's Barnes probably. Uh, you know, I, I think Barnes would be a fun ad obviously he's a guy that can score on a bunch of levels he can shoot it and you know he's uh you know he, he and, and Halliburton created a pretty tight uh, relationship when Halliburton was in Sacramento I know Barnes was one of the guys that Halliburton made a point to go see uh when they went to Sacramento this year I can't remember if Buddy went to see him too but he's a little you know but he's a little different um <laughs> but I think that those <laughs> he's he's fascinating I don't know if he went to see anybody he just told me what what restaurant he went to um but I think uh <laughs> I, I I know those two are close, and so I think that he'd be a pretty easy fit. He's a veteran. I don't think they they wouldn't have to give him a long term deal. And I think that's one big piece is you know sign a guy for a scenario where you're uh, sort of leading Walker in. You know, basically you're you're sort of helping him out, maybe bringing him off the bench. You know, put somebody in a position where they can start ahead of Walker and allow Walker to grow a little more organic more organically. Um, and so I think Barnes is a pretty good fit. I mean, it could feels like a reach for me just because I, I kind of feel like he wants to go someplace last year. I like that he'd like to go to someplace that's closer to being a contender um, or is in a bigger city or in a bigger market. I mean, just 
because that's the that's the sort of personality vibe I get from him. But there's there's interesting ones, and I think if, if they don't, if they're not able to go big. I think they can easily you know grab a, a Grant Williams or a George Niang just to add some depth. Depth. I mean, I don't feel like Boston seems to be you know locked in at all to getting Williams. Uh, I don't know that. I think Niang would be an easy one if it's just if it all else fails. That's sort of an easy pickup, and he's a guy that's proven he can shoot it at least at that position. I think he's been on over forty percent for five straight years. It's pretty amazing for a power forward. Um, so that that's what you know. That's kind of where I see it going. It, it seems like Barnes is kind of the safest choice, but I do think out of the guys I mentioned, I think Grant's the best player. I did not hear. Did I hear Kyle Kuzma, or was that? I said that you at the did. start. Okay, I was yeah. just making yeah. sure. Like you know how I feel about Kyle Kuzma in a Pacers uniform. <laughs> I feel like it would be a really good fit. I don't know if he would trade in. He'd you know, fun. He, he'd have fun playing basketball. I think that's for sure. Like Kuzma playing with Halliburton, he, he would have a good time on the floor. Like I, I feel like he's looking for something flashier in terms of city, just because he's Kyle. But I feel like from a basketball standpoint, like Halliburton will put him in a position to chuck it. That's for sure. I think Miles Turner should just show him his closet and be like, "This is what I could offer you." In yeah, James has been working a runway side gig here. <laughs> For uh, for a pop up shop potentially Look, with Kyle Kuzma I'm just, and Miles Turner. I'm just telling you, Jimmy Dustin, you gotta think outside the box when you're in Indy, right? Not not always the most attractive place to come play basketball. So you gotta you know a little stay in Elmo, little window shopping, and you tell him, hey, no, no, don't gotta window shop too much. We'll get we'll get the real thing for you, fella, if you come here to Indianapolis. But in all seriousness, I do think <laughs> the players you mentioned would be good fits for what they're trying to do, particularly with you know uh, Jeremy Grant, obviously. I don't know if he's going anywhere just because of the awkwardness going on in Portland right now where they want to try to keep things together but don't want to, you know, fold things in. It's kind of a weird situation for them. I think the the Pacers are actually in a way better spot than they are right now. But to kind of pivot away from maybe the free agency targets that could potentially come, we can look at the roster right now. And one player who, again, brings me a lot of intrigue besides Jairus Walker is Ben Shepard. And and we talked to Kalen Cooper yesterday. I saw some highlights of him, watched him. He's a guy who can really get going. And so how important do you think this uh, summer league is for him to get reps and show that maybe he – you know, can be a guy who can get some bottom of the rotation minutes just to be sort of that microwave off the bench. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, it, it's definitely going to be a good, I think, to show sort of Pacers fans what else they got. I mean, I think there was some, you know, hope that they were going to be able to swing bigger, uh, especially being able to move more assets to get higher up in the draft, whether that was ahead of seven or ahead of 26. But, man, they really like this guy. Uh, you know, I mean, like Chad Buchanan was, was saying like, that they, they, you know, scouts have been sort of banging the drum for this guy since at least the, the, the Valley tournament two years ago. Um, and so they really liked him. And, and, you know, you've seen good highlights. He was really good at the combine. And really since then, I think his, his you know, stock has been, you know, going up. But, I mean, he can shoot it. He can defend multiple positions. And I think two things that stand out is he shot 41.5% from three. And he was an all-Missouri Valley defender. Um, and so that's exactly the kind of player you're looking for uh, at these sort of wing positions, whether it's two, three guys that are kind of two, three combos or three, four combos. You know, you want somebody that can defend in multiple spots, you know, can create offense out of defense, and and that's what Ben Shepard is. I mean, I think that's what you see on there. Um, so I, I think it's going to be good. I think for Pacers fans to see, okay, this is, you know, who they really liked. This is somebody that they really kind of felt was important to get. You know, a reason why maybe they didn't move to twenty six. Um, and you know, again, somebody who can make sort of some intri- you know immediate contributions. Uh, you know, coming off the bench, a guy's going to be able to hit some shots and score on occasion. Who's got some athleticism and is going to be able to defend some people. And again, the big thing is I mean, this team's got to get better on defense. With 
first unit and second unit. Um, and, you know, it, it's got to be able to guard people. It's got to be able to, to stop some of these bigger, more talented wings. Um, you know, they, they were really put a lot on the plates of Andrew Nembhard and Aaron Neesmith last year. Those guys had to guard the two best players all the time. And when they came off the floor, I mean, they had a hard time guarding people. Um, you know, and, and even when they were on the floor, I mean, some of their stars, you know, Halliburton's got to be better on defense. Buddy's got to be better on defense. You know, if he's still going to be on the team, Matherin has to be better on defense. He certainly got the body for it. Um, but he was not great uh, as a defensive player this year. And all those guys got to get better. But it, it will help to have, you know, some other players that they can rely on uh, to at least some degree uh, to be good defenders on the first and second unit. I think Shepard really helps that as a second unit guy right now. And, you know, given time uh, might be, you know, might end up being better than that. One quick follow-up. How impressed were you with Andrew Nimhard's defense in particular? I know we talked a lot about what the Pacers are lacking on the defensive end, but Andrew Nimhard, man, he was guarding some of the best players in the world last season and holding his own. And it looks like someone who, in my opinion, could be one of the better backup point guards in the league for years to come and could potentially be a starter on NFL. T- I'm not, sorry, not NFL, NBA teams. I'm sorry, getting my leagues messed up here. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, he was a starter all year. <laughs> you know, most of it. I mean, they probably started sixty some out of eighty something games. Uh, I mean, it was really impressive. I mean, just being asked to, to really step up and guard. Um, you know, like obviously that's not optimal. I mean, you're not in an optimal scenario if you're if you're throwing a rookie on LeBron James and Stephen Curry, but. He held he held his own. I mean, he wasn't great every night. I mean, it's not like he was an all uh, defensive team level player. But he gamed LeBron James, Dustin. Off. He gamed LeBron James, <laughs> so therefore he is the goat of our generation. Yeah. But I'll let you continue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he gave LeBron problems, man. He gave LeBron problems in L.A. and they were able to win that game on a game winner by Nemhard. And then he gave Curry major problems. Uh, you know, they obviously did a lot of switching in that uh, game. But in, in Golden State, I mean, I think I want to say Steph was what three of seventeen. Some, somewhere on those those lines, you know. Again, there there was some matchups that he lost, but there was some good ones that he won. And at the very least, he was providing uh, more you know, more resistance than you know any of the other options. Again, he and Neesmith were taking uh, one and two, and that was different depending on you know what they liked in certain matchups. But you know, every night it was those two guys first. When you see the defensive matchups, okay, who's Nemhard got? Who, who's Neesmith got? And, and in, in both cases, they were talking. In all cases, they were taking the top two guys uh, who weren't centers at least. And, it was it, it was really impressive. I mean, you, you miss when you first look at him how strong Nemhart is, uh, and because he's got just I don't know the way he's built, the way you look at him, he does it. It's like he's he's bigger than it looks like he is. I guess when you really get up to him closer, like wow, you got dude's got muscles. He does not get pushed around. Um, you know, by like as much as you might think, uh, and so he was able to really hang in there. And you know, LeBron James did not push him around. Uh, he did, he did not go back. Basically, when LeBron tried to back him down, you know, Nemhart stuck with it. So it was really impressive, and it obviously says a lot about the defender he's going to be. Uh, that, that that's where he started. Now he has a sense of okay, how do you guard the best guys? You know, where do you have to be in position? How do you have to body them up? Um, you know, I think he just learned so much from this year, and you're going to see him get better and better uh, as a defensive player. It's it was. It was really impressive to watch just, again, how many big-time assignments he got and how good he did with them. Dustin Apirak with us, Pacers beat writer for the Indianapolis Star. Dustin, in the last week, have you given any more thought to Jonathan Kaminga? And the only reason I ask that is because we just had on Connor Latorno, who covers the Warriors for the San Francisco Chronicle, and he made it seem like there could still be traction or, or, or talks, perhaps, with the Pacers and the Warriors centered around Jonathan Kaminga at some point this offseason. Have you given any more thought to that? And if you haven't, what would that look like if you're if you're examining that on the fly? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, it, it, it certainly makes sense, but it's just a question of what it's going to cost them. Um, I mean, I if it would have cost the, the eighth pick in Jairus Walker, I understand why they didn't do it. Um, I, I think that's it, it, it's an interesting scenario. Obviously, I think when you saw him in flashes for Golden State, I mean, you see a lot of athleticism. Some deep, there, there's just a lot of capacity there. I mean, they, they, you, you don't really know what all he can be yet. Um, but you know, he obviously isn't getting enough of an opportunity in Golden State, um, and I, I think he has a chance to be a really good player. It's just a question of what the cost is. Uh, it's just what it comes down to. And, and if, I, if if it would if would if it, if the sticking point uh, for the Pacers, not enough. The sticking point was in the, with the Pacers or the Warriors. But if the sticking point for the Pacers was we didn't want to give up Jarris Walker, we really liked him. We didn't feel we, we 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 felt like that was too high a cost. Then I get it. You know, I, I get it. I, I would have had a hard time making that move, especially as much as they like Walker. You know, guy with a lot of size, a lot of length, that, that has a chance, I think, to be a, a really good player. I don't know how fast it's going to happen, but I mean, I, I see why they look at Jairus Walker and say, say, this is too good of a fit for me to move uh, for Kaminga. I, I get that. And the question is, is he worth Buddy Heald? Is he worth a combination of Buddy Heald and TJ McConnell? Um, I don't know. You know, I, I think it's, it's close. I mean, I think he's definitely somebody that would be useful for them. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's just a question of what does it cost you? But, I mean, I, I think I, I, I think he deserves to go someplace else and someplace else where he can make an impact. I, I, I think, you know, it, it would be good for the league. It would be good for anybody just watching just to see what that guy can do uh, in a real role. Um, and, again, I, I think he has a fit on the court. It's just a question of what do you have to give up to get him. Dustin, before we let you go, my last question to you is about Victor Wembanyama. Obviously, no Wimby to Indy, as I was trying to predict and manifest here a few weeks ago. But in all seriousness, have you carved out the schedule to see or at least looked at it to see, man, can I sneak a peek at this guy? Because when I was there last year, it was definitely a buzz whenever one of the top players came through, Paolo, Keegan Murray, you know, Jay Nivey. I would expect, obviously, the fanfare to be a lot bigger for a player that is as hyped as him. So do you plan on trying to get in where you fit in and potentially seeing this guy before, you know, tickets and things like that go sky high for whenever he makes his NBA debut? Oh, you better believe it. I mean, I haven't looked to find out when that's going to work, but I'm going to make that work. If I'm there for four days, he's got to play one that's not a direct conflict. So I'm going. Yeah, All right, there's I'll no make, way I'm missing that. I'll <laughs> no make sure, chance I'm missing that. I'll make sure. Guy, to, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'll make sure to call Wimby and tell him, hey, my guys, Dustin is coming out there. Exactly, you know, you didn't come exactly. to Indiana like you were supposed to with the ping pong balls. So, you know, we'll, we'll get that worked you, out. He owes you for that. It, exactly. That, frankly, but so. no, I, I'm very curious to see. And, and honestly, I know I know you'll be on the ground getting video, getting, you know, uh, a lot of content, obviously, up on IndyStar.com. But I am very curious to see what the fanfare looks like for him, because, as you know, it's pretty lax at, you know, the, the draft combine, mm-hmm. at, you know, summer league. But with him, I expect to see, like, black suits everywhere he goes because he's such mm-hmm. a big name. Seriously. So yeah. it'll be fascinating to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. And I, I think we're all looking at this and saying, man, like, we've just never seen anything like this before. And, and, and you know, I, I don't say, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's a bigger prospect than LeBron because I think you looked at LeBron and said, like, I have a, you know, I have a sense of what this is going to look like. It seems sustainable. Like I can imagine him being really good for a long time. 
obviously you see a guy that's this long and you, you, you've got to have sort of concerns about injuries. Is he going to be able to hold up? What is the, you know, what does that body look like after 82 games? You know, is there going to be joint issues, whatever is you're seeing tall guys uh, go through that throughout the years, but you also watch him do stuff that you've never seen anybody do before. That, that just is, is new. I mean, to see a guy who's seven, five hit these, you know, crossover step back, fade away threes. You're like, what, what even is that? Like, where does that even come from? How is that possible? And, and the put, Thank he dunk dunk he had that like he barely jumped <laughs> like he just ran forward caught it put it down like it was nothing and you're just like this is incredible what am I even watching so I mean I I can't wait to see that up close I mean I'm just going to be just I I'm looking forward to being totally baffled uh, by what that looks like uh, in front of my face so I, I can't wait to see it uh, and it's just going to be cool hopefully for years to come I mean hopefully all this works out and hopefully he he becomes every bit as big of a star uh, as as we, we think he could be because I mean. It's just going to be, you know, a, a fun marvel uh, to take in. I, I think if, if he's as good of a player as it seems like he can be, not only seems like he can be, but if he can sustain that, you know, like I, I don't want to like put any doubts on what's already there. We've seen him on TV. It's not like, you know, some of these other European players we've seen over the year, where you get the grainy, grainy footage and you barely know what you're watching. You watch this guy, and you've obviously seen him in Technicolor with him coming back for the Vegas games and everything, and you're like, that's that's real. That's obviously an amazing player that we're watching, and just just hopefully it's uh, it's sustainable. His body can hold up, and and he can be every bit as spectacular that it looks the way that he can be. Dustin, last thing from me. I know you mentioned Jeremy Grant as a potential target for the Pacers, and the interest by the Trailblazers to try to re-sign him. All week we're looking for names that might slow down free agent acquisitions well one name that's not a free agent that could do that is Damian Lillard how much of the uncertainty and I don't know if turmoil is the right word but this awkward state of will they or won't they with trading Damian Lillard impact the acquisition of somebody like Jeremy Grant on the Pacers end of things I mean, I think significantly, but it, it, it well, the stuff that I'm reading from you know Portland writers basically, I and mean, this isn't like anything I'm getting uh, that's exclusive sure. to me, but it, it certainly seems that you know they've indicated pretty strongly, you know, uh, their general managers, their their personnel people, you know, and they're on the record stuff after the draft have been pretty clear about wanting to get Grant and feeling like they're going to do that regardless of what happens with Damien. And it also, from you know the reporting that I've seen come out with Lillard so far, is that basically Lillard's going to sort of sit there and wait to see what they do first um, and say basically, okay, like you go out into the world and go get me free agents, and then I'll tell you what I want after that. Um, it seems to be that you know he he just wants to see some devotion. He just wants to see more than anything else that that they still want to be a contender and that they're going to make some pushes and they're going to keep some guys that he likes and goes get some and get some more players that he also likes. And so I think that's it. Doesn't seem like Damian is. It, it doesn't seem like it's a wait and see what Lillard is going to do. It seems more like Lillard is waiting to see what they're going to do to get a better sense of what he wants um, and and his hope. And it seems like Portland is you know seems to want to. Keep keep him. I mean, I, I don't know what would happen if someone just gave them a gargantuan offer um, and maybe they'd think differently, but it, it seems like they're moving forward as if he's going to stay and they're trying to give him reason to stay. Um, and it seems like it, from, from what I can tell, that seems kind of more the order of things and that that doesn't necessarily hold back uh, You know, the grand situation. It, it seems like their process is going to be going forward with making him an offer to try to get him to stay and it's obviously up to Grant to decide if he wants that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem like they are waiting on Lillard it seems like more will Lillard is waiting on them and then he will tell them you know after they've made their other pushes how he feels like they did and you know what he wants from there 
Great conversation as always. Enjoy the rest of free agency or the start of free agency, I guess, and safe travels out there to Las Vegas, Dustin. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Tell uh, Charlotte Carroll I said hi when you guys have her on. We'll do. We'll absolutely do that. At Dustin Apirak. Follow him on Twitter at Dustin Apirak. Does a great job covering the Indiana Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio. Vibing out, rocking out alongside Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, who love each other. We got the boxing gloves over here. They're in the like back they're corner. like brothers. I love it. And you know me, I'm an instigator. I'm like, yeah, yeah, get him, Jimmy. Yeah, get him, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no loyalty from you in this studio. Oh no, no, I respect no. that. I, respect I am the loyal about to. It. I told you yesterday. I'm loyal to the low road. Skip the high road. <laughs> um, obviously, the big news of the NFL today is Isaiah Rogers potentially missing the entire upcoming season, according to ESPN's Adam Scheffner. But there is other news here in Indianapolis, like the ongoing negotiations at running back with Jonathan Taylor and management. And so we have my buddy, my friend, my former editor from college, Charlotte Carroll on the line, who covers the Giants for The Athletic. We'll talk to her about all things running back contracts and more. Charlotte, how you doing? I'm good. It's nice to, to chat with you here. We're uh, a long way away from our WPGU days back in the- <laughs> This is true. Charlotte made sure that all of my work actually made sense when I turned it in. She did, takes no credit now, Jimmy, but she deserves a ton, honestly, being a great <laughs> editor. And so it is really cool to kind of cross paths again in this space. So um, one thing I'll start off with, which I teased, was the contract negotiations. I know it's a little more contentious out there, I would imagine, because of Saquon not wanting to sign the franchise tag, we're not quite there yet here in Indianapolis. But what has it been like just navigating that space and seeing where both sides are at and obviously not being able to meet in the middle so far? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely been an interesting note to the offseason. I mean, for us going in, it was the main storylines were going to be Daniel Jones' contract and Saquon Barkley, and they were kind of interdependent on each other. One meant uh, the other was going to be the franchise tag, and we saw that happen with Daniel Jones working out a long-term deal, which meant Saquon Barkley got franchise tagged right at the deadline. And it's just kind of been uh, – he'd been quiet up until a few weeks ago. We hadn't heard his side since he was he was tagged, but he spoke to reporters for the first time. And you could he expressed frustration. Um, obviously, no one wants to be tagged. He's looking for a long-term stability and, and wants to be a giant for life. Um, but he expressed frustration, too, with some leaks uh, from inside the organization. So we've got until July 17th, and, and we'll see what happens. Charlotte, running backs have no say or power in this league. I mean, it's been proven time and time again over the last five or six years. Le'Veon Bell's the only one that's ever really tried to fight it, and a number of different reasons played into this, but he was never really the same player after he sat out that whole season. Uh, From Saquon's standpoint, and we forget that he's only 26 years old. It feels like he's been in the league forever. Uh, Where's a baseline of the legitimacy of him potentially holding out into the season? Yeah, no, so he was asked about that at his uh, his football camp a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't kind of say one thing or the other, but he didn't roll it off the table. His big thing was that it was it's an option, but he hasn't put too much stake into it, and it's a, something he'll think about more once July 17th, which is the deadline to, to make a deal, rolls around. And if there's no deal, then that's something that him and his team want to think about. I can't personally see him sitting out the entire season. Um, I think maybe he'll like sit out of training camp a little bit to kind of just prove a point and show his displeasure with the tag situation. But he is a player who's the face of the New York franchise. He's image conscious. Uh, he's someone who kind of knows what he's doing in that regard. So I think that'd be a big hit for his image if he ended up sitting out some of the season. And leverage-wise, too, 
uh, there's not much going there once you've, you've been tagged. Yeah, that's one thing we've always talked about on this show, Charlotte, is how you're tied to your team in the NFL. It is very hard to have that leverage because they can tag you three times if they want to before they let you go. And so to pivot away from him and look at the quarterback who they did obviously um, extend and, and sign to a big deal, what has been the vibe around Daniel Jones and potentially taking another step forward having had the breakout season he had last year? Yeah. No, I mean, that was a, a controversial kind of decision around the league for him to come back on, on that money and, and that length of time. Uh, but he's made sense in New York. Everyone around and in the organization really loves him. Um, they say he's great. Uh, you see just his like work dedication. He's always kind of like the first one in the building. And I think a big thing this offseason was giving him more offensive pieces to work with. So we saw the, the Giants bring in Darren Waller, star tight end, um, not the that like star caliber wide receiver position, but nonetheless something that they can work with. And so I think it'll be exciting to kind of see the way that the offense is, is a little bit different. One thing I'll be curious is how much running is Daniel Jones doing next season. We saw him uh, as a dual threat last year and just kind of, so I'm curious how that's going to be incorporated. When you look at the aspects of how running backs are valued in today's NFL, I see a lot of parallels, at least in terms of play style and just their ability to take over games when they're really on one, like Jonathan Taylor and Saquon Barkley are. Obviously, Barkley having done it for a little bit longer, but Barkley not as notorious for the Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey dominate as well in the in the passing game also. When you look at those intangibles as running back and the fact that that's not really a part of Saquon Barkley at that level, how much of it is, oh, if he was a dual threat running back, maybe they'd be more willing to pay him? And how much of it is a combination of the price points aren't right, his injury history, and that's just what running backs are nowadays? I think a lot of it's just the market in general. Um, And then, as you mentioned, too, with the number situation and, and the injury history is important to consider as well. Um, I don't think it's it's fair necessarily about that that dual threat idea. Obviously, it's something to consider, but I do think that the market just like shows what running backs are, and that's uh, that's hard for for Saquon to come into this season or this off season and, and kind of have to deal with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a unique position to me because he looked otherworldly last year, and obviously had a big factor in them winning their first playoff game in quite some time. So. Charlotte, when you look at the offseason moves, aside from Saquon Barkley, how do you think this team has tried to make sure they sustain what they did last year and make sure it's not a one-off? Yeah, so kind of as we, as we spoke about, bringing Daniel Jones back, that kind of set the foundation for me is what this offseason was going to be about. Once they made that decision, that kind of rotates what the rest of the offense is going to look like. They brought in Darren Waller. They brought in Paris Campbell and Bobby Okereke from, from Indy, so two familiar faces for you guys. Um, but the offense is the key kind of that we've been talking about this spring is just more explosive, maybe more deep balls. We've seen that in, in OTAs. So I'll be curious to see that from the offense and then just more stability too from injuries. Um, so Brian Dable, Joe Shane came in last year. They did a lot of their own guys, a lot of important injuries, especially on defense. Um, so just making sure that there's reliable options to turn to and they're not kind of piecing together week by week, even though that worked out well last year. Um, and they made the playoffs, but uh, to be a little bit more stable. How's my guy Paris Campbell? The last time I saw him, we were playing pickup basketball in Westfield, Indiana, 
and I did not ask him anything about basketball at all because I was like, I don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Let's just hoop. And uh, he was telling me he was going out to Arizona to train with Daniel Jones. And, I mean, personally, I love talking to Paris because I feel like he's one of the best interviews on the team. Very nice guy. So how is he fitting into what they are doing out there? One thing he did say before he left for Arizona, and obviously now he's in New York, um, was that he was excited about how Brian Dable would utilize him in the offense. It's funny you say that and actually bring up the Arizona trip because we got to speak with him. I haven't really been able to talk with him one-on-one, but now I want to go play pickup basketball with him. <laughs> Get them bucket, Charlotte. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't time I picked up a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with, with Perez, it's funny you say that because we, we were speaking to him a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned that he was a little nervous about the process of free agency, but that like the day one that he ended up in New York, he was at ease. And he talked about that Arizona trip and how that really helped him kind of get to know the guys a little bit. He kind of had a was able to spark a bit of a connection with Daniel Jones. And you're already seeing that in OTAs. He got a lot of, of targets from Jones. We've seen him kind of work into a way where he, he's getting targeted a lot. He's making catches. And there looks like there's a path for him to that really play some meaningful minutes next year. What do you think is the most likely play out with Saquon's contract negotiations? Do you think it's ultimately that the sides are able to come together and get an extension? I know that he's pushed back on the reports that, you know, the offers that were allegedly taking place at different points throughout last season and, and so far this offseason. Do you think there's still an agreeable pathway for a long term or multi year extension to be done before that deadline here in a couple of weeks or is from Giants camp this basically being there's the tag, you make the decision if you're playing for us or not next year? I mean, I think there's still, that's the hope, and I think that would be the best outcome for all parties. Obviously, money, we don't know what the guarantees, that's kind of the big question mark, is like, what are the, the guaranteed money in, in these numbers that we're seeing reported? Um, Saquon kind of declined to, to go into details on that, but that would be the hope. I mean, not only just for, for Saquon, of, of wanting that long-term deal, that stability, um, but also what that looks like in the locker room, too. I mean, he's a vet guy, very well-respected. So what would that kind of look like if he comes into camp on the tag still and, and doesn't report, and how does that impact the rest of the locker room? So I think there's hope that they still get a deal done. That was when we spoke with Saquon a few weeks ago. His big thing was that they had until July 17th. So I think, as we saw with the Daniel Jones negotiations, which went right down to the deadline, I think that's going to be one of those. Uh, it's kind of going to be the same situation that they're going to be working until the last possible minute. Charlotte, we've talked about this on a personal level, but how has been your transition to the NFL and the world of franchise tags and the never-ending cycle of news? Because I am living it right now. We both made kind of that transition at the same time. So how is it in New York, in, in New Jersey? It's been crazy. So I was covering college basketball before this. So it's been very different kind of going from that world to this one but it's been really fun i i think you've talked about the relationship you we were able to develop with paris campbell and that's been one of the the best things that i've enjoyed about this i mean obviously the never-ending news news cycle and just kind of getting to learn how this all works has been crazy but i've really enjoyed like you go into the locker room you get to see these guys on a daily basis you just able to kind of have conversations not even about football um so i've really enjoyed that transition from the college game and, and being able to kind of have those conversations with people so it's, it's been a lot learning everything and <laughs> the Saquon Barkley deadline fall right in the middle of summer vacation when the rest of the NFL world is off I <laughs> I know uh New York media is probably not too happy about that but it's been really a, a good time 
Charlotte Carroll with us covers the New York Giants for the Athletic. Charlotte, a little earlier today, Adam Schefter had reported that Isaiah Rodgers at Indianapolis Colts is suspected to have a season-long suspension due to the allegations with gambling. He also mentioned that a handful of other NFL players are likely to receive season-long suspensions. From your vantage point, again, this isn't saying that it's going to be somebody from the Giants or somebody on the East Coast that is going to be a part of these handful of other players, but on your beat in New York, when you see a tweet like that that has vague aspects of it, it, how does your day or your process with this change, knowing that, that there's an unknown number of NFL players and their identities at this point are unknown that could face season-long suspensions as well? I think like any good reporter, you, you kind of ask questions you and you're on high alert. We got a message from our editor kind of being like, okay, this is happening, you know, just be aware. And as, as we mentioned, this is kind of the slow period uh, for the NFL, but I guess there's, there's It no ain't slow period. for me. <laughs> 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 you, I don't think you've had, have you had a moment to breathe? No, <laughs> no. I have literally been uh, just gasping for air as, as soon as I joined this team, but go ahead, continue. <laughs> No, no, sorry. I don't mean to turn the question on you. Um, yeah, no. You, just, you put the ears up a little bit and kind of pay attention. And I don't. I think that's the case, no matter what the story is. James, I, any truth to the rumor you were going to go out to summer league and cover the Pacers too? Just to, you just you, you, you don't want any days off. You want to just keep keep rolling right around three. No, you know what's funny is I, I'm actually supposed to get some time off this upcoming week, <laughs> but and I was t- t- explaining this to uh, you know Jimmy Charlotte that we don't really have off days like we can be off it can be scheduled to be off but me and my editor already had a conversation like if something big happens and I'm on vacation I will cut that vacation short and we'll figure out the days off you know in, in the future but <laughs> getting back to what we're talking about when it comes to gambling I am curious because we've talked about it with our people here in, in Indianapolis when it comes to the, the coaches and, and personnel and things like that um, has the, have the Giants put a more emphasis and more onus on the gambling rules just to make sure people know what to do and what not to do? That's a good question. That's not something I've looked into completely. Um, so that is something that I will add to my list to kind of look into a little bit, actually, um, and how that's changing around the league, not just with the Giants, but I would imagine the Colts and the Lions will be making a lot of changes, um, but definitely these other teams as well. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating when we were talking to the uh, NFL reps last week on the Zoom call about the gambling policy and just how intricate their, you know, basically their spying is. I mean, they know where you are. They know when you make bets on your phones, they get alerted of all these things. They know where your phone is when you do these things, which is why they were able to track some of these things. So that was fascinating to me, Charlotte. And I was like, whoa, like it felt like Big Brother um, on steroids, so to speak. (laughs) But obviously I would want you to cover more positive things. So you look at the outlook for this season, the pieces that are in place, the pieces that they added um, with the Giants and, and the division they're in, obviously it's not going to be an easy one. Um, how do you feel about at least not, oh, maybe not you, but just covering the team, how do they feel about their chances to um, you know, get another crack at making another run and then obviously going a step further because that's always the goal in this league and I feel like it's always hard. I feel like it's harder in the NFL to sustain any sort of excellence because of the parity of the league and just how finicky it can be with injuries and availability and just any given Sunday, literally. Yeah, no, I mean, Brian Dable is kind of famous about just like, oh, that was yesterday, that was last game, doesn't matter. When we were out in in Arizona for the owners' meetings, he was pretty – he brought it up, you know, the thrashing that they had um, in the Eagles game and kind of just like – 
you know, that was what stuck out in his mind versus, you know, the, the playoff success and then all this other stuff. Obviously, that's very important for the franchise and stuff, but that still was how they ended the season. So there's a lot of room to grow. That gap, you mentioned, especially NFC East, that gap between Philadelphia and New York um, is, is still very large. So there's a lot of, of room to improve on that. But when it comes to this season, I don't know. I'm kind of of the opinion it can kind of go either way. They've got a really tough schedule. So not only just with NFC East opponents, but just the rest of the league in general um, and opening against Dallas uh, in, in the season opener. So that should be interesting. But they've added these pieces. I, I think the defense, I'm excited to see the changes, especially with, with Bobby, inside linebacker, how the run game defense improves, I think will be fun to watch. But, um, yeah, I think it could go either way. I'm very bad at, like, hot takes. I don't like hot takes. That's like, Don't do them. One. Don't do <laughs> I them. hate hot takes. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not really a hot take of predicting the season, but it's, it just feels still kind of early with not getting – like training, like having not seen stuff in training camp and like pads on and things like that. No, I totally agree. I will say this though: we saw tangible improvement from Daniel Jones last season. So maybe not so much this off season because I mean, how much can you take away from OTAs, minicamp, things like that? But what did you see from him last season as far as? just taking a step forward in that dual threat capability because when I look at him and we realize here in Indianapolis who the Colts drafted with Anthony Richardson, I think they would love to see someone follow a similar trajectory where you're seeing at least flashes of how dynamic a player who can do both run and throw can be and and how that can, you know, put some pressure on opposing defenses. Yeah, so for me, it was interesting to come in. I mean, I, I would imagine for you, too, just like not knowing really anything about the system. And mm-hmm. I didn't know about Dan Jones before I got here. Um, so like doing the research and kind of looking at that and knowing he, he's always had that ability. But to see it like really on display and, and to watch throughout the season, he just he looked in command in a way. I mean, again, having having not watched like his rookie years and things like that, but him and Saquon really handled things that first part of the year and then as the season went on and then even though like mix of wide receivers and, and that whole like situation with injuries um but as he got a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more confident in the pocket like taking some more throws in, in certain situations and just the decisiveness too and his decision making i think was for me the biggest takeaway of watching him he just looked like he was comfortable and, and confident in making the decision whether to run or throw, which talking to people, I think he's always had that, but it just has grown more and more, and you could kind of see it last year. New York Giants beat writer for The Athletic, Charlotte Carroll, with us here on the Fan Midday Show. Charlotte, last thing on my end, if they can't get a contract ironed out for Saquon Barkley, and let's say it's a, a bit of a grumbling period, but he ends up signing the tag, what can other teams like the Colts learn from the way these or these communications among players and organizations, particularly at running back, can have varying degrees of success, have varying degrees of conversation breakdowns? And is there a, a playbook or a pathway to make this less messy or is it destined at this position now that there's going to be contention, there's going to be pouting and frustration, but ultimately... Uh, it's too dangerous both from a legacy standpoint and from a career standpoint to sit out when the tag is presented to you. I don't know. I think it's hard to kind of say what that means for the rest of the league and other players. Cause I think every player in every, every situation is different. Um, I think the emphasis on, on the trust is, is there and, and 
Saquon had talked about, you kind of know that family business. Um, so just making sure that's in place. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's For me, it's hard to predict what that would mean for others, and especially the market as a whole. I mean, maybe five years from now, market running backs are, are back uh, <laughs> where they want to be. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Things change so much in the world. Um, so it, it's kind of hard for me to make a prediction that way around. But I think definitely people are taking notes and it that's been the topic too of like how are these other players kind of those negotiations excuse me negotiations kind of impacting maybe the Saquon stuff these guys getting tagged so I think there's ripple effects there and there's comps um but at the end of the day everyone's different Charlotte last one from me before we get you up out of here it's not really a football question it is a life question I've looked up to you you've been my editor you've been fantastic what advice would you give to young women who want to be in this space and want to be around athletics and cover it at the highest level as you are doing right now, just given what you had to go through to get here and maybe some of the uh, stereotypes that you've had to get around to be in that space and show that you obviously um, belong in that space? Oh, James, thank you. You're going to make me cry on a <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really cool. I mean, just a quick aside, it's really been fun to watch you grow and, and your rapid growth and, and to see us both end up here. It's been really fun. I loved getting to run into you at the, the Colts Giants game. That was awesome. <laughs> Off season stuff. So it's really fun for me, selfishly. Um, but on your question, I don't know. Um, I try to just do my job and, and not think about that too much. That differentiates, and I think the best advice, no matter honestly whether it's in journalism or, or any other job, is just show up constantly. If you're if you're there, if you're going to things, they they know you're coming, they know you care, they know you're trying to do your, your best job. Um, so whether that's journalism or anything else, um, just show up and, and be a nice person. <laughs> be kind. That usually works. I appreciate you, Charlotte. We'll catch up soon. And um, you take care in New York. And uh, hopefully the air quality is a little bit better there than it is here. But we'll talk soon. Oh, I hope so. It's, it's good right now, but we've had talks that's coming our way. So we shall see. But thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. And ILL. There we go. I and I. First time I got one of those on the air. Again, that is Charlotte Carroll, my fellow Illini alum. Still here on... The Midday Show here in the DriveHewler.com studio. I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, or James Cook, as we were discussing off air. Hey. <laughs> real formal. I'll confuse people real quick. Two James, James and James. Spot. Yep. And we have, obviously, Eddie Garrison holding things down, doing all the important things behind the scenes for us. We also have George Brimmer on the line, who covers the Colts alongside me and others. He does it for the Herald Bulletin in Anderson, Indiana. Also covers preps, which I will always say to those out there, who are in the Indianapolis area and the Indiana area, anywhere in the country, support local journalism, support your preps teams out there. People like George who tell the stories of all the kids in our neighborhoods. George, how you doing, my man? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I did have a slight uh, meltdown when (laughs) the news came out about Isaiah Rogers. I've never seen somebody grab a backpack that fast in my Yeah, life. And, and you know what? <laughs> J- Jimmy knows this, George, and Eddie knows this as well. I bring my backpack in here every time I come on the air, and I rarely ever open my backpack. Yep. It usually just stays there, but I had to break the glass for the emergency. It's like when you break the thing to get <laughs> yep. the fire extinguisher. Sure. That's kind of what I was doing. Um, so I'll, I guess we'll start there, George. 
what was your reaction to the news? How did your day maybe get shifted with Isaiah Rogers now, according to Adam Scheffner, potentially being out for an entire season and not just him, but potentially even more players? Yeah, no, I mean, kind of knew something was coming. I'm, I'm kind of glad that it that it's breaking this week and, and not next week when I'm, va- on a, I'm on vacation. Oh, we're in the so, same boat. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was my first reaction was, hey, good now, you know, better now than later. Um, in a way, it feels – it sounds weird, but it almost feels like best-case scenario for him. And when you hear the details – and we'll get more after this suspension is announced. I think that's going to be really interesting, too. The league has said – they're going to be really upfront and really open with the details on these cases. Uh, so hopefully they deliver on that because we really don't know what he did. So we know the general outline of it, but we don't know the specifics. Uh, but when you heard, you know, that those initial reports, a year really seemed like probably the, the least he might get. So if that's how this turns out, um, it might be in the better range for him. George, at face value, and that's that. You walked right into my next question. It would seem like if we're reading Adam Schefter's tweet word for word, and and we're not trying to go too far with it, but just look at what he said at face value, that would lead me to think that it's no longer as dark as oh well, he bet on the Colts, but not only he bet on the Colts, he bet against them or bet in, in a way that would involve the integrity of the game being compromised. Was that your similar reaction that? All things considered, not for the Colts, but for Isaiah Rogers, if it's just a season-long suspension based on what it was speculated it could have been, doesn't condone what he did, but, I mean, not not a bad outcome, all things considered. Yeah, you know, I, I think it does seem like maybe some of the worst possible uh, outcomes of what he did maybe weren't there. I mean, it, that, that was the thing all along. We had such a thin amount of details, you know, early on. It, well, he bet on games. Some of them involved the Colts. You know, we didn't know exactly what was going on. Did he play in the games that he bet on that the Colts were involved in? You know, that's part of this, too. Because I think, if I remember correctly, I think Calvin Ridley did have the Falcons involved in, in one of his uh, parlays. But yes. he was hurt and he wasn't on the field. So, you know, all these details we need to find out. Uh, but I think the thought process all along was if he bet on the Colts and he bet against the Colts and he was playing in that game, uh, it could have been a lot worse than a year. Yeah, I, I, I had the same initial reaction when it came to the news. Honestly, and again, we have to wait for the official word to give our full analysis of it. But if it is what we think it is and it's just a year-long suspension, then you have to go through the reinstatement process and hope that the league has some leniency with you or has some um, not leniency but has some mercy on you that's totally different than being banned for life and being sort of like just a new precedent for the gambling policy but when it comes to um, Isaiah in particular we all knew this was coming George as far as him potentially being out for a significant amount of time however do you think that this is the end or the last that we've seen of Isaiah Rogers in a Colts uniform? I think that's one of those things we kind of have to wait for the details on. You know, we really got to find out what did he actually do and, you know, how is that going to be viewed by the organization? I I think betting on the team is something they're going to take 
really seriously, obviously. Uh, but, you know, how did that play out? Again, were they prop bets? Was it was he betting on whether Michael Pittman would score in Week 17 or get 100 catches? Or, you know, there's there's levels of this that I think we need to find out what exactly happened. Uh, and then I think the team's going to have to sit down with him and, and find out why he did this. You know, what what was the motivation behind it and what confidence do they have that, they're not going to have something similar moving forward. I think these are all the same questions any employer would, would ask. I think, you know, just can you correct this behavior? Is it something that, that you're going to have to deal with again? Uh, I think all those have to come into play. I, I think it's highly unlikely he's going to play again on the contract he currently has, which his biggest payment of his career was coming this year. I think that's the big thing, you know, from Isaiah Rogers' standpoint. Not only are you missing – a chance to be a full-time starter for the first time, probably a good one when you look at the roster, and a chance to really set yourself up for free agency, uh, you're probably going to miss out on what would have been the biggest payday of, of your career. And whether it's here or somewhere else, you're almost starting from scratch now. You know, Whatever deal he gets now is going to be almost like a rookie deal all over again because whoever it is, whether it's the Colts with a second chance or it's a new team, they're gonna they're gonna want you make you prove this again from from square one. Um, in some ways, it's kind of heartbreaking for him. It's an avoidable mistake, so you take that into to account. You know, it's something that definitely was was in his court. Uh, but the timing of this could not be much worse for for his career. Well, James, I just realized it removes the. Uh, bit we were doing where he live bet the Vikings at half. That's now off the table, I would think, from the uh, from, from the season long uh, suspension. All, moving away from from jokes aside, that, that was more just for James than it was for you, George. George Bremer with us covers the Colts and is sports editor as well for the Herald Bulletin. How swift, as James asked you regarding what they do with Isaiah Rodgers, how swift on the Colts end do you think this happens once the league makes their official announcement later this week? I think a lot of that depends on how much of this groundwork they've already done. You would think that they've already talked with him, you know, had a lot of those conversations that I've already talked about. So, you know, if they're going to part ways with him, I would imagine that happens relatively quickly. It did on the Lions side. Uh, the two guys that they released after they were suspended pretty much came down uh, either the day that the suspension was announced or like the next day. Um, so I think, you know, from Rogers' standpoint, probably the longer it goes without any word like that from Indianapolis, probably the better it is in, in his case. Yeah, I think, George, when we look at the situation, we have to sort of wait for the league to say something because, I mean, the players gave us a little bit of reaction to it. You know, we talked to Kenny Moore. He said he had spoken to Isaiah Rogers, was kind of just keep trying to keep his spirits high. But Shane Steichen obviously wouldn't touch it, wouldn't go near it, wouldn't confirm anything, wouldn't deny anything. It was just sort of this thing that kind of hung over the team for a little while. But when we look at what is going on as far as potentially having more players, the thing that I would like to know is we hear other players, could that mean other players on the Colts? I mean, because they're not – I mean, it, I'm not saying that it is or it isn't. I'm just curious because other players – I mean, other players anywhere in the NFL. And so you wonder if if Isaiah, again, alleged until we get it confirmed via the NFL, but if he allegedly bet this many team times on the team or had this many bets going, how could someone else maybe not know on the team or potentially not be involved? So I'm curious to see – if that's a factor as well, um, but to pivot away from 
him in particular, George, would you just stay young at cornerback considering he's going to miss time, or would you try to go out and get a veteran? That's a really, I think that's the million-dollar question right now um, because that whole secondary room is, is really young right now. I think Kenny Moore is pretty much the, the most vested guy either at corner or safety uh, on the roster. You know, after Gilmore and, and Rodney McLeod are gone, it's an incredibly young group. I think there's definitely a case to be made to bring somebody in sort of like a Brashad Perryman type of guy on the defensive side. Uh, who's been there, who's kind of seen it all, who can, if nothing else, uh, in training camp, just work with these guys and kind of teach them what it's like to be a pro. Um, But at the same time, I I think the opposite side of that argument is this is, as much as I was talking about it being heartbreaking, you know, for Rodgers at this point in his career, it's a great opportunity for Dallas Flowers. It's a great opportunity for the three rookies they just drafted. Uh, Guys like Daryl Baker, who, you know, still trying to find their way in this league, who are on the roster, maybe even Tony Brown works his way into this. Uh, he's one of the veteran guys now as well in like year three or four. Uh, I personally would probably go try to bring in a veteran just because it is such a young group, but I can see the argument of let these young guys find their way, let them battle this out and you know, give two of them a really good opportunity this year to start and, and find their way in this league. George, when you look at the Colts roster going into training camp and you examine areas where they'd like to see internal improvement, how imperative is growth and and ascension to really becoming a true tight end number one this season? Is it for somebody like Jelani Woods? I think that's huge. When you look at the Eagles offense, uh, which they're obviously running and what Shane Sykin did over there, and you look at Dallas Goddard and his impact, I don't see anybody else on the roster right now who can really fill that role aside from Jelani Woods. There's other guys that do things well, but I don't think they they do that role the way that Woods potentially could. Uh, And then the safety blanket aspect for your rookie quarterback. If you've got a huge target like Woods in the middle of the field and he's consistent, uh, it could be – it could mean the world to Anthony Richardson. When you're trying to figure out what to do, you're under pressure, the play's breaking down, you know you've got a mismatch like Jelani Woods out there. It can really, I think, help his growth, help this offense in general. As I look at the offense, probably the two guys I think need to to really step forward the most this year to help them get to where they want to be as an offense are Woods and Alec Pierce on the outside as a deep threat. If you can get Woods, to sort of be that third down guy and the red zone guy and the security blanket, for lack of a better term, for, for Richardson. And then you can get Pierce to take the top off of defenses. I think those are probably the two most important elements aside from Richardson that the offense could get this year. George, obviously training camp brings out a lot of people every year. It's always an exciting time around not only Indianapolis but the NFL. But how different do you think the vibe will be in Westfield considering that you have a rookie quarterback in there and you're hoping that he can become the new face of the franchise and obviously someone who can be here for a decade plus? 
I think it's there's a different energy. I think we felt it already, you know, just around the the building with the team and 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 the players and you know everybody who you kind of come in contact with down there. It's fresh start. You know, you got a, a new head coach, you got a rookie quarterback. There's a lot of young guys on the on the field. I think that's going to transfer to the stands pretty quickly. I, I think there's some apprehension because you know you don't know what to expect. You don't know how things are going to turn out. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a little bit of excitement. The way the last two years ended have a more or less a clean slate coming in here this year i think it's something the fans will embrace at least early on training camp time uh, and i think you know there's gonna be a lot of curiosity to get out there see what anthony richardson looks like see what this offense looks like see what some of these young defensive backs look like uh, it's been a long time since i can remember a training camp with this much uncertainty and i think a lot of times that plays in the team's favor because the fan base wants to get out there and see for themselves I mean, that's until Anthony Richardson makes his first throw. And if it's completion, he's the greatest quarterback ever. If it's incompletion, <laughs> should have never drafted this guy. You know how it goes, George. And we track those throws in the 11 on 11 and tweet those out. God bless our mentions because they're going to be on fire. <laughs> but um, I'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for coming on. I know I hit you up last minute today, but you're always clutch. So I appreciate the time. Thanks, George. No, no problem, guys. Anytime. All right, again, that was George Brimmer, 